At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our Christmas message series, Eyewitness, finding your Christmas story in theirs, where you're invited to find your story in the extraordinary experiences of the men and women who witnessed the very first Christmas. Together, we'll see that no matter who we are, the coming of the Christ was for us. Well, good morning. All right, I'm just going to start it out by uh, asking you to participate just for a moment. You ready? I want you to think about the nativity scene. Uh, it's pretty simple. It's just right there if you don't know what it looks like. Uh, for a moment, imagine the nativity scene. Who is the first person that comes to your mind? Now, I'll ask you to raise your hands. I heard a lot of, like, silent Jesuses. If anybody thought of Jesus, raise your hand. If you didn't, you're not a sinner, okay? Well, we'll come back to that. Uh, if you thought of Mary, raise your hands. Nobody. If you thought of the wise men, did anybody think of Joseph? I, I have not. No. That's not often like the first person that you think of. Um, this is a picture of Joseph in the new series by The Chosen. And uh, when you think about the nativity scene, oftentimes Jesus is, is central, right? Jesus is right there. And so Joseph, um, yeah, he's just kind of forgotten. A professor put it this way, in the New Testament, Joseph never speaks. In Matthew's gospel, where Joseph appears more than anywhere else, he does a number of important things, but we never hear him speak. I didn't know that. Did you know that? In every scene, Joseph simply acts without speaking. His speech is to do the will of God. We may call him Quiet Joseph. Quiet Joseph. And you think about a husband um, who is beside his wife in labor, somebody who's about to give birth. And it's so funny. I mean, we have a seven-month-old at home with my wife. And, uh, you know, oftentimes when I'm carrying my seven-month-old, seven people will just automatically go to him. And I'm completely, like, I'm not even there. I disappear. They're like, they don't care about the dad, right? And then when the baby is born, they ask, oh, how's the baby doing? How's the mom doing? And then they kind of skip over the dad, and they're like, what was the medical staff like? They go to everybody except the dad. Like, the dad is forgotten. But today, I kind of want to focus in on Joseph and do a case study on the life of Joseph. And this is the series we're going through. If you're brand new here, Welcome. Um, we're going through a series called Eyewitnesses. And the thing is, we have the ability to watch the events of Jesus' birth unfold through the eyes who have witnessed his birth. And that's an amazing thing. We see the extraordinary experiences of the men and women who were there the very first Christmas. Can you imagine that? Actually seeing Jesus being born. And so with a character like Joseph who is often forgotten. What did he see? What did he experience? And what was his faith through the whole situation? So we're going to enter into a world where a virgin birth and God becoming a baby uh, wasn't a cultural norm for us. So if you would, open up to Matthew chapter 1. That's where we're going to be reading the story starting today. And the quote here is, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. 
Matthew's gospel has the objective to convince the Jewish audience that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And the way that Matthew defends this claim is by showing how Jesus is linked to the Old Testament. Right? The Bible is split into, split into two testaments, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here's a quote here. It says, The new is in the old concealed, but the old is in the new revealed. The New Testament shows us how the Old Testament has been fulfilled through the life of Jesus and shows us our current or future hope through the teachings of the epistles or letters. It's all one grand story. And so starting here in Matthew chapter 1, it starts with a genealogy, which who loves reading genealogies? Anybody out there? No. If you go through a Bible in a year uh, plan, you'll get to the genealogy and be like, eh, I can skip that, right? That's, that's a solid day's worth of reading right there. But there's so much packed up into it. It's okay. I, I tend to skip the genealogies. And we'll get to this, but it's so important for some. But as we think about Joseph and this culture, this cultural context, there's so much uh, that happens within the nativity scene or everything that culminates within this nativity scene. In the first half of the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, he lays this genealogy out, and this genealogy shows how Jesus is the promised Messiah. And I have this, um, this poster that I got a while back, and it shows the genealogy all the way from Adam and Eve to Jesus. So I don't know if you can see that on camera there. And I'm, I don't expect you to read the fine print here. But Adam and Eve up here and the descendants all the way down through the center here to Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And if you read through the Bible and actually see all of the names, it's, this, is, this was amazing for me in my faith because I saw that these were real people. It wasn't just a fairy tale. This all truly happened. These are all descendants, and it culminates in the promised Messiah, who is Jesus. You're welcome to see this after service, but genealogies, they're super boring sometimes, but they're so, so important. And so it shows from Adam to Jesus. So it, it may not mean a lot to us, but to the Jewish audience within this chapter in Matthew, it, meaned, it, it meant everything to the Jew, Jewish audience. Um, it's this genealogy. It's in your DNA. It's what makes you, you. And so for the Jewish audience, they would see this, and if they truly saw that Jesus was the descendant of King David and Abraham, that would no doubt bring the Jewish audience to faith in Christ. That alone might have brought them to faith in Christ. And so as we continue through this character study, or as we begin this character study in Joseph, uh, Matthew describes quiet Joseph in this first chapter. But before we read uh, the section in Matthew, there are a, co a couple potential problems with Joseph. In this genealogy, Matthew has given himself a problem, one that potentially threatens everything he's just said about Jesus being the son of David. Number one, if Joseph is not the father of Jesus, then Jesus is not the son of David. And if Jesus is not the son of David, then he is not the Christ. You see, everything on this genealogy 
It, it consistently said, this person fathered this person who fathered this person who fathered this person. But as you read the uh, nativity scene, what does it say? It says, uh, Jesus is the son of Mary, who uh, Joseph was married to Mary, but actually didn't father Jesus. So that's the first problem. And the second one is, if Joseph is not the father of Jesus, then who is? This is either a scandal or it's something spectacular. So we'll get to the answer a little bit later for both of those problems, but let's pick it up in Matthew chapter 1. Within the context, uh, we come to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. That's the story. And so what does true faith result in? That's the question today. When you think about your faith, what does your true faith in Jesus result in? And the big idea for today is true faith results in a righteous response. Here's some background that uh, Pastor Jeff described last week. Um, this describes the marriage between Mary and Joseph. In that day, it was a betrothal. This was similar to engagement, so if you propose to your uh, to your fiancé or your boyfriend, girlfriend. Uh, this is like an engagement, but another level up in commitment. It included a legal agreement. So in ancient Israel, they would sign the legal documentation or the marriage license at the time of engagement or betrothal. Like, that was it. You proposed, and that, it almost was like marriage in that moment. And then in the pregnancy, in verse 18, it's during this time that it's quoted, it says, before they came together, Mary had become pregnant. And if you're not familiar with the Bible, come together literally means they just hadn't had sex yet. And then imagine what's going on in Joseph's mind, right? He is engaged to this woman that he loves, and she is pregnant. They hadn't had sex. What would be going through your mind, Right? Immaculate conception has never happened in the history of anything. So if you had been engaged, you know that this is a time of anticipation, excitement. You're looking forward to this great celebration and consummation. And it's during this otherwise exciting time, Joseph finds out, my fiance has betrayed me. And her betrayal has gotten her pregnant. Is there a more deflating circumstance than that? All the anticipation, all the excitement, it's gone just like that. 
And so what despair? How would you respond to that situation? I can't even imagine that feeling. And so Joseph has a decision to make, and he does. In verse 19, he continues, and he says, uh, Because he was a just man and not willing to put Mary to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. He decides to break this betrothal, which amounts to a divorce in that day. He could have called a public trial, putting her to shame. Uh, It would have ruined her, but he resolves to do it quietly in order to preserve Mary's reputation. And so let's say Joseph actually went through with this divorce. Uh, If he doesn't take Jesus as his son, then Jesus has lost his connection to King David and therefore is not the Christ. And this is the moment where God steps in. God's intervention in verse 20 and 21. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. You know, just as soon as Joseph was calling his lawyer to sign the divorce papers, God comes in, he intervenes, and he reassures Joseph of his fears. He redirects Joseph's plans to divorce this woman. And then not only that, he, God gives him the chance to name this child, this child that actually isn't even his own flesh and blood. And you think about that significance. Does anybody have a pet in this room? Did you name that pet? You know, when you are an owner of a pet, you have the ability to name that thing. There's a significance in that, whether you call it fluffles or other terrible names, you have that ability to call it a name. And so Joseph is given this ability to name this God-son, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Man, that's, that's significance right there. And so here we see in the story of Joseph that true faith requires a righteous response And that righteous response includes trusting the plan of God. Trusting the plan of God. Are you a trusting person when it comes to God? What's it like in your own faith? You see, Joseph had a plan for his life. He's got his carpentry business. Maybe he's going to call it Bethlehem Woodworks. Maybe that was going to be the name. He had a good life going for him. He was engaged to a a woman. He's about to start his family. He had plans for a house maybe, work, family, home. He's got a nice plan for his life, got it all laid out. And then, boom, his fiance is pregnant. What's going through his mind? All those plans that he, in in his own mind, are gone. He decides to quietly and as graciously as possible to divorce Mary. But then you come to God's plans. Those are Joseph's plans. As soon as God steps in, God says, not this plan, not, not that woodworking business of yours, not that plan, my plan for you. This is the life of a faith that is uh, fully dependent on God. A life of trusting in God's plan for your life. He says this is a life of believing he is the Lord and he knows what's best for us. As I think about my plans in my own life, I've made plans. Um, I wanted so badly to become a camp counselor when I was not even in college yet. I think I was still in high school. I had a friend who was a counselor over at a really good camp out in California, and I said, man, I want to follow you. I want to I do that experience with you. I want to get that camp counselor experience at Christian camp. 
And so I applied, but I really wasn't there um, in the right stage of my life. I wasn't spiritually there. And so I botched the interview. I didn't get that position. And so my plan kind of was ruined in my own mind. But then uh, through other opportunities at the church that I was currently going to, um, I had the ability to uh, spend five weeks in Japan with some missionaries that that church was supporting. And in that experience, I learned humility. I was cleaning toilets in Japan. I didn't know the language, but I, I spent time there and my faith was formed. My eyes were brought more closer to Jesus than they ever had been. And so here, I wanted to go to California. Instead, God sent me to Japan. And that one moment set the course of the rest of my life, in my opinion. Um, initially, I was uh, going into architecture, and eventually I was led back to ministry because of that experience in Japan, or partially. Had I not had that experience, I would have not had that, uh, I had not you know, dipped my toes into ministry, per se, and then I was really wanting to go to uh, Moody Institute in Chicago. And although I was accepted, um, God had different plans. And so I did an internship here in Michigan. Um, I, I was doing an internship while also having ministry experience and getting my bachelor's online. And so because of that, I was here in Michigan. That summer, I was free. I went to a, a camp as a camp counselor eventually up in Wisconsin. And that is exactly where I met my wife the woman of my dreams. And that is the woman that um, is the mother of my child, and I feel like my life is completely different now. And it's, it's all for the better. And so I had these plans over here. I didn't get that camp counselor job that I really, 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 really wanted, and instead I was over here. And so oftentimes life throws these curveballs, and we throw our arms up in the air like, what is happening? You don't really understand what's going on. And so I relate to Joseph when you, when you think about this story. Though life is unpredictable, I know a God who is predictable. Though I don't have the answers, I know my God will answer in the ways that I can't even fathom. And though at times I doubt God's plan for me, I know he's gotten me to this point right here. So why on earth would I ever doubt him to get me through the next storm? So how has God interrupted your plans? What has he put in your path? And you think, surely this isn't the best for me. Like, God, you don't know what you're talking about. This, this is not good. Maybe it's a health crisis. Maybe it's uh, a, certain, a certain temptation to sin. Maybe it's a demanding or a demeaning relationship. Maybe it's a call to adopt a foster child. Whatever it may be, God has different plans for you. And as you connect with whatever interrupting thing that is for you, as you face this challenge down, this is God's word for you and for me and for Joseph. He says, do not be afraid. Are you fearful right now of the future? He says, don't be afraid. Your plan may be trashed, but my ways are higher than your own, and I have a plan for you, and you need not be afraid. God promises Joseph there's something bigger going on than you know about. Your wife is pregnant from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Doesn't get bigger than that, does it? Proverbs 19.21 says, 
Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And so oftentimes when we think about the future, we all want the details. What is going to happen specifically? Until eternity, we may not get all the details for why we went through what we went through. And yet we can still trust there is a purpose in our pain. Nowhere is this clearer than in the cross of Christ. Because Jesus Christ alone suffered for our sake. He went through unimaginable pain for our sake. Our redemption, our forgiveness, and freedom from sin. And as it was for Joseph, as it was for Jesus, so it is for us. God has purpose for your broken plans. God has purpose in your pain. And he calls us to trust this purpose, to believe this word, and to live a life of humble dependence on him. Say, God, I trust in your plan. I don't know what I'm doing here. I have a plan for my life, but it may, it may not be in your own plan. So I, I submit to you. That should be your prayer every single day. So this is the first thing we learn about true faith from Joseph. And here's the second and final for today is that true faith results in, first, trusting, trusting in the plan of God, and two, obeying the word of God. It's enough to trust God, right? But you actually have to follow through and do something with it. The same professor who I started out this sermon with uh, quotes this, who called him Quiet Joseph. He continues saying, Joseph's hallmark is obedience. It's prompt, simple, unspectacular obedience. And in this sense, Joseph prefigures one important feature in Matthew's understanding of righteousness. To be righteous is simply to obey the word of God. So how would you define obedience? Here's my definition, is belief with evidence. If you trust in God's plan, you believe Jesus is the son of God, that's good. But where is your evidence for that belief? How are you acting that out and obeying that belief? It's almost like if you said, I believe this seatbelt will save my life. I believe it with my entire heart. But then you never actually put the seatbelt on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to doubt your belief in that seatbelt. Why would you not just put that on if you give your whole life over to this seatbelt? So the same thing is I believe in Jesus Christ, but how are you obeying that belief? And how does Joseph obey? In verse 24, it says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. God says, take Mary as your wife. Joseph takes Mary as his wife. God says, name this child, adopt this child. And Joseph names the child, adopts the child. God says, flee to Egypt. Joseph takes the family and goes. God says, come back from Egypt, and Joseph returns. In every circumstance, whatever, wherever God calls, Joseph answers. We don't even hear Joseph say, yes, Lord, I'll do it. We don't even get a single word quoted from him. He just obeys. He just obeys. I've got this other, um, I, I presented this, stark, um, the stark contrast or this potential problem that, that Matthew lays out about this genealogy, 
right? We, we see an obedient Joseph, but the big problem is he's not the father. He's not the blood father of Jesus Christ. And so this professor over at Moody Institute, I probably would have learned this had I gone there, right? Um, <laughs> but he describes this perfectly that connects Joseph with Jesus. Matthew's genealogy of Jesus from Joseph's perspective is also so important because it clearly demonstrates Jesus' legal right to the throne of David. According to Judaism, Jesus, as the adopted son of Joseph, would have all the legal rights of a biological heir. Joseph descended from David through Solomon, and that was the chosen line of David for someone to be considered king. Hence, the Lord Jesus was the son of David by biological descent, through Mary and the king of Israel by legal right through Joseph. Did you catch that? So because Joseph obeyed, he adopted this child who was not his, and therefore Jesus has this right to be on the throne of David. He is now the promised Messiah. You see God's plan all through the the course of the Old Testament and New Testament all brought together? So now it is made right. There's no potential problems here. Because Joseph obeyed, it brought the old and the new together. And we have Jesus as our promised Messiah. That is fulfilled prophecy. And so as I thought about um, an illustration for this point about obedience, you could think about uh, maybe scenarios like people in the military obeying orders or pets obeying masters or children obeying parents But let's talk sports. Got a lot of sports going on, right? The position in sports that I have the most respect for is the offensive line. You know, sometimes the quarterback gets a big hit, maybe the running back, but it's the offensive line that is in the trenches day in and day out. Every play, they're knocking guys around, getting knocked around, doing the dirty work for the sake of the team. And so you think about post-game interviews. ESPN goes up to the quarterback, the running back, anybody else. Never have I ever seen an offensive lineman, man, what was the game like? No, they're always ignored. The offensive linemen sacrificially block so that their other teammates can succeed, and they never say a word. You see the connection? So like Joseph, they simply do what they're called to do without talking about it. And like Joseph, they simply obey. And this isn't easy. I'm not saying Joseph was a perfect human being. We all have our flaws. I don't really think it was easy for Joseph to do this. Remember, the angel of the Lord said to Joseph, don't be afraid. Joseph was afraid. He was terrified. He was afraid to take Mary as his wife. He was afraid to adopt this child. He was afraid of what it might do to his reputation, but the choice wasn't easy to obey, but the choice was simple. Will you do it or will you not? Will you marry this woman or will you not? Will you adopt this child or will you not? It's a simple choice. It's hard to make, but it is simple. So just like for the offensive linemen to sacrifice their bodies day in and day out, that's not easy. But it is simple. Will you or will you not obey? So Christian, in what area of your life is God calling you for your, for your obedience? I keep coming back to the two situations that Joseph faced. 
God called Joseph to stick with his wife when it would not have been easy, especially in this Jewish culture where sexual promiscuity was a huge, huge deal, if not a crime. And so for him to stick with Mary was incredibly, incredibly bold. It's easy to imagine that all of his friends and, and family are like, what are you doing marrying this woman? Are you, like, do you know what this is going to do to both of your reputations? Like, you're not the father. There's ridicule, there's judgment, shame, gossip, slander. It's easy to imagine all of that happening. Does anybody in this room say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to sign up for that. That sounds great. I'd love to obey you, God. Thank you. No, but his plan is always better. And so Joseph experienced all of that, but God called him to this woman, and he stuck with her. Now, husbands in this room, our situations are certainly different than Joseph's. We don't have a wife pregnant with the Holy Spirit, right? It's a little bit different. Nevertheless, God has called us to stick with our wife, even when it's not easy, and maybe even especially when it's not easy. And so my, my encouragement to you this morning is simply obey. Do not leave her, ever. We may struggle. We may be tempted. It's going to happen. It's a broken world and we're broken people. But simply do not leave. We see that in Joseph, in the life of Joseph. We see the commitment that he had, that he trusted in God and he obeyed. Today we see Joseph, a character we don't hear about every Christmas season. He's the silent servant, willing to trust and obey the God of the universe. What seems ridiculous to others, he listens to God's orders, trusts in his plan, and acts on it. And so I'd like to end this out by reading from Galatians chapter 4. Um, Galatians chapter 4 is so rich in truth. It's written by Paul. I'm just going to read it here. It's chapter 4, verse 4. Says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. We have this illustration of adoption. We have been adopted into Christ's kingdom. For those of you who believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, you have new life. You have adoption. You have freedom. And for the rest of you who have not yet made that decision, that is within reach. All you have to say is, I accept your gift, God. God has sent his very own son to give us this adoption. Or maybe God is calling you to foster or adopt literally within this life. We see the example within Joseph, a child who wasn't his, yet he obeyed God's commands. What is God saying to you in this moment? Don't take this moment lightly because there is freedom and there is adoption into God's family. That's so big. And when we are, we have this ability to call God Abba Father. That is the special name that we have for God now. True faith results in a righteous response 
And so ask God to put this real passion in you to follow him. It's not of our own will. We can't do this on our own. We need the Spirit's help. We need God's help. Joseph didn't do it by himself. God empowered him for this kingdom work. God says, trust me. Trust my plan for your life. Painful as it may be, obey my commands, difficult as it may be, and simply obey and don't fear. Would you pray with me? Father, we we trust in you. It's so good to hear your word from um, the nativity story from a different perspective. And Father, we thank you for the life of Joseph and the example that we see. But Lord, we're thankful for sending your son to die for us. We celebrate his birth in this Christmas season. We see the, uh, the topics of adoption and freedom, freedom even coming through this story. And as we think about the season, as crazy as it may be, Lord, help us to slow down and to focus on your word, to focus on you and help us adore you. Lord, as we are continually struggling through this life, help us to um, not only focus on our own plans, but focus on you and your plans for our life. We don't know what they are, but Lord, as we may fear what the future brings, help us not to fear. We see the fulfillment within this story that you have the ability to bring peace to our own life, to bring peace within this very man who has obeyed your commands. So Father, I pray that you would do the same to us. Father, give us this peace that is never ending, this love that is never ending. And as we focus on you, Jesus, this season, help us not to take this moment lightly. I pray that if anybody in this room has not yet accepted your call to salvation, I pray that today would be the day. Father, help us to see the adoption and the freedom that only you can bring. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.